Well, we're continuing our series this morning. As you can see, is there an app for that? I'll tell you, I'm an app guy. I'm a gadget guy, actually. If it's electronic and it plugs into the wall, I'm interested to see what it's, what it's about. Uh, it's just how I'm built. I always have been. I remember as a little kid, I, I bought this thing where I could do recording in my home. Uh, and I had this little thing. I brought my, one of my pastors over. I wanted to show it to him, you know. And he go, oh, that's nice. That's cool, you know. Just always have had interest in electronics and little gadgets and, uh, and apps. And, I, you know, I have a lot of apps. Uh, I bought the biggest iPad, you know, several years, whatever, a couple years ago, whenever they came out with the first one. And, uh, you know, I've got six, so it's got 64 gigabytes of space. I've filled almost all of it just with apps, you know. I have apps that tell me about other apps. That's how bad it is. You know, I have, an app, I have a couple apps that tell me what the price history is but for apps, and if I want to watch them, you know, it'll let me know when they go down in price or something changes, and got another app that just tells me, you know, about apps that have just come out that day. It's just, you know, apps. They're everywhere, and they're all, they're all over the place, and, you know, I've enjoyed them. And so, you know, talking about, is there an app for that? And all of my research of all these apps, which obviously, as you can see, I've done extensive research, uh, I have not found one that instantly transforms me into the world's greatest husband or dad. Uh, so there isn't an app for that. So we've got to go to the Bible, because there is an application in the Bible for it. And so we'll have to figure that out this morning together. Today's sermon is how to work as a team. And today we're going to focus on knowing your role. Um, we're going to look this morning at our roles as members of, of the family as a team. And, and so I want to give a disclaimer up here. The disclaimer is this. Sin has been destroying the family unity since the Garden of Eden. From the very get-go, sin's been destroying family unity. Um, you know, if you, you look at the story of Adam and Eve, and uh, the devil comes along as a snake and tempts Eve to eat the fruit, and so she takes it to Adam, and they eat it, and God finds them, and they're all embarrassed because they've, they've disobeyed God. And what does Adam say? He says, it's, just, it's, it's, it's that woman you gave me. You know, immediately the blame game started from the get-go. Right from the first sin, immediately we were looking to shift the blame. And you know, um, the result is we carry, the, we carry the weight of our own actions. And uh, family relationships are flawed, and they're quite complex. And in this talk this morning, I want to encourage you not to spend mental energy focusing on others and the wrongs they've done. I want to uh, have you, uh, I also don't want you to feel condemned or defeated by comparing your family to others or thinking about your past mistakes. That's not what this is about. We want to look to the future by thinking uh, and, and see how God can strengthen our roles as members of the family. If your family is not, doesn't fit in that perfect family cookie cutter mold, don't give up and say, this sermon's not for me. My family doesn't fit in a perfect cookie-cutter role. You know, it just doesn't on the mold there. You know, we had flaws, and I had flaws growing up, and even Jenny and I, we make mistakes now. That's just part of life. But we always want to grow to get better. Instead, it's important for each of us to focus on how we can improve in our role or roles as part of the family that we've been given to be a part of. We can't control what others do, have done, or what they will do. But the best way we can develop family teamwork is to let our actions follow God's instructions in the Bible. This sermon is about each of us improving our role to strengthen our families. This morning we're going to look at what the Bible says about how people should function in family. We're all members of a family this morning. Everyone here is a son or daughter. Some of you are moms or dads or aunts or uncles or grandparents. You know, we're all, we all have family. We're all part of that. And so all of us 
I want to be encouraged that there's greatness in each of us as a family member. There is greatness in you as a family member, not because of what you can do through yourself, but because Jesus Christ, is, if he resides in you, he's going to help you to have great impact on your family. My prayer this morning is that each of us can walk away this sermon feeling really full of encouragement. And, you know, be encouraged that through God's help, we can positively impact others in our family. Let's pray. Father, I need you this morning. I need your help to speak clearly the words that are in, that are in your Bible and that you've given me to, to, you know, talk to these people about. God, I just pray that you'll just uh, help us all to understand that we are loved by you and that we have an important role to play in our family. And that you can use us to bring healing, to bring uh, encouragement, to make a big difference in our family as we develop our role on the team. Holy Spirit, I just pray that for each person here that you'd speak to them as individuals what it is that you would want to say to them this morning. And I thank you, God, for all you're going to do. Amen. So, my wife and I discovered something. We have four kids. And we discovered something a few years ago um, that when we would, we used to say, okay, the house is a mess. You know, you have four kids, they're all doing their stuff. They got their backpacks, their shoes, their, their art projects that they're doing for school, their art projects that they're doing for no good reason, just because they're creative. There's, you know, paper and scissors and things happening all over the place. And you have a, we have a couple little dogs and they bring in dirt from outside and it doesn't take long for the house to get a mess. And those of you who have kids know that that, that can be the fact. And so we have times where we just say, okay, everybody's time to clean the house. We're going to set aside this time. We're going to clean the downstairs. I want it to look good. I want it to be, look spotless, work on it. We're all going to work together. So and sometimes we'll do that, and we'll say, oh, we're going to go to the store and when you guys do this. And so what would happen, though, is when we said that and said, okay, go, everybody start. Well, after the whining was over, which <laughs> you all know and have heard, um, or at least most of you probably, uh, the, um, the, the kids then start their cleaning. And, and that involves basically bickering and arguing about who's supposed to be doing what and who's not supposed to be, that you're not doing your job good enough or you're, you're, you're in my space or one of them's sitting on the couch pouting because they have to clean and the other ones are getting angry and, and, and bickering because one's cleaning, one's not cleaning and then they're all four sitting on the couch not cleaning. And you know, what we discovered is if we don't define roles in cleaning, it doesn't get done. So one day, my wife probably came up with this because she's smarter than I am on these things. She said, I want you to do this, you to do that. And we began to find, you know, I want you to do the dishes and you're going to clean the whole kitchen. You're going to do all the floors. You're going to clean the dining room and you're going to clean these other two rooms because they're not as hard to clean. So we'd give out roles. And once we did that, it was amazing the difference that can happen. Because they didn't have to worry about what the other person wasn't doing. They just had to worry about what they had to do and getting the job done in their part. And not only did it bring peace, but they'd start singing together and having fun and laughing. And it was a whole different place in the room. You know why? Because they knew their role. And God knows us as people enough to know we have to know our role. And so this morning, we're going to talk about those roles. Um, The best way to develop teamwork in family is to understand what God's asking of us and responding to family positively as he instructs us. The most successful teams have well-defined roles and responsibilities. For a family to function well as a team, we must also function in clearly defined roles. The Bible is a great guide in helping us to know what God asks of each family member. 
We'll start with the role of husband and father, but don't worry, dads. This isn't all going to be a pressure cooker on dads the whole morning. It's not Father's Day, so you're, you're good. But we are going to talk about everybody. We're going to start with dads, because that's where the Bible talks about the man leading. And so let's talk about that. Husbands lead with love. That's the first point. Husbands lead with love. And I want to encourage you, men, and I know you've heard Pastor Stan talk about this a lot, but I think it's something we need to always keep in the forefront of our mind, that we need to lead as Christ led. The Bible sets up men as the head, of, head or leaders of the household. This does not mean that the father dictates or dominates. His leadership should be as Christ, who led by example and loved and never forced in any way anyone to follow. You have to choose whether you're going to follow Christ. And even though Christ knows that there is dire consequences and an eternal you know, death by not following him and not accepting him, he doesn't force you to. He allows you to have will. Free will is what got us in trouble in the garden, and it still gets us in trouble today. But if we take that free will and we say, God, not my will, but yours be done as Jesus did, then we're going to be a lot happier and a lot better in life. We're going to respond a lot better. Let's look at the scripture together in Ephesians 5. It says in verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. He did this to present herself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Let me read that one more time. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Men, we know how to take care of ourselves and keep ourselves happy. You give us a good pop or a, or, and, and a plate of barbecue and a TV remote and we're pretty good. You know, those are things, or whatever your passion is, whether it's camping or hunting, fishing, yeah, whatever. We know how to take care of ourselves. We know what we like and we know how to get that done. You know, that's how we're built. God's saying as much as we care and understand our needs, we need to care and understand God's needs and take care of our wife and love her just like Jesus loved the church. Now, I was talking with Doug in his office, in my office this week about this sermon. He said, you know, the funny thing about that scripture, and he said this before, but I want to, and he'll probably say it to you again, but I want to say it this morning. Um, that Christ... Um, I'm going to say it this morning. I'm going to get to it eventually. Christ um, gave his life for the church it talks about. And if we ask a room full of men, how many of them would give their life for their, for their wife, they'd raise their hand and say yes. Sure, absolutely. I'd give my, my, you know, except for a couple smart Alex, but for the most part, you know, most men will say, yeah, absolutely. I, I'd give my, my life for my wife as Christ would. Because that's a hypothetical, and it's kind of easy, and you think, too, in the back of your mind, you know what, I'm pretty good. I probably could save her and myself, you know. You know, if, you know, if train's coming, we'll, we'll get out of there, you know. You know, and so, but, but you know, um, that the, the harder, those, that's the easier thought in some regards, because the harder things are the simpler things in life. Like, would you say, um, will you put down the remote when she needs to listen, when she needs someone to listen to her? Or... Do you love her enough that you'd go to her destination of choice for your next vacation? Or would you, do you love her enough to let her choose the next house you're going to live in? Or 
Uh, give her the TV remote. No, 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 never mind. Just kidding on that one. Don't give her the TV remote. That's a whole different, that's a, that's a, that's a unique form of love. Deeper form. <laughs> Men and remotes. We love those things. I think it's because it can just control the TV and it doesn't talk back. Except it tells us stuff we want to hear because if we don't like what they're saying, we just change the channel. You know. But you know, uh, folks, men, we have to love our wives. The best thing you can do for your kids is to talk highly of your wife. If we're leading as Christ leads, our love needs to be seen through our words and actions toward our wives. If there are children in the family, one of the best things we can do is show them how much we love their mom. Treat her with respect. Show her great love and esteem for her in front of others and especially in front of your kids. Now, I know some of you have been wounded through divorce and have been deeply wounded by your ex-spouse. And even though they may deserve to have their dirty, rotten, scoundrel ways broadcast to the world, uh, and some of them probably do, you need to consider the price to pay. As you tear down a parent, you are tearing down the child. Because a child's mo- that's the child's mom or dad you're talking about. And another me, I was sitting with Bob Tennant, and he said, my mother was a great example of that. He said, my dad left when, when I was two years old, and my mom never spoke badly of him in front of me. So I had no opinion of him. You know, he's just, he was just my dad, but it wasn't a negative opinion. And he said, that helped me in life. You know, that was a great gift to me that she did that, that she didn't speak poorly of him to me all the time. Even though he may have been a dirty, rotten scoundrel, she kept that to herself and didn't share that to me with me, and, and what a blessing that was to me. So remember that. It's important. Husbands, be careful to build your wives up in front of other people. Talk about all the good she does when you're with friends and family. You picked her because she has wonderful qualities. You asked her to marry you. She didn't come get you and say, okay, sign this. It wasn't a sneak job. You know, she didn't sneak up on you one day. You picked her, and there were things that you found wonderful about her. Focus on those things. There's absolutely wonderful things about every woman in this room. And there's qualities that make you, make you uh, very wonderful and desirable to your husband. Things about you that he loved about you. Men, let's focus on those things. And remember this. When you speak badly about her, it reflects on you. If you treat her poorly, it really doesn't reflect poorly on her. People look at you and it reflects on you. And you also need to remember the two become one. So I'm rubbering your glue. Never mind. (laughs) Christ gave everything. He loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. I was willing to talk, uh, I was, uh, okay, we're going, husbands, uh, just as we lead our wives, we must lead our our children as well. Ephesians 6, 4, let's look at that on the screen. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Our leadership source is the Lord. Dads, let's champion our kids. Let's not discourage them by being negative. We need to encourage their hopes and dreams. Parents are the single greatest influence on their kids' lives. That's something for me, you know, at times I I don't champion my kids enough. I want to champion my kids. I believe in Samantha. She's sitting right here. I believe in her. She's a great kid. She does so many amazing things. She raised 200 and something dollars this weekend to help uh, people in Cambodia so the kids will have food, right? You know, she, she just did that. Nobody told her she had to do that. I got a great kid. I need to tell her that stuff, and I need to tell her in front of you this morning because she's sitting right there, and I want her to know that I'm proud of her. 
You know, do those kind of things for your kids. Tell them you're proud of them. And don't just do it to them in private. Do it in front of other people where they can hear. Men, devote yourselves to the Lord in prayer and submit yourselves to Jesus, and he will guide you in expressing love. Men, sometimes we have a trouble expressing love. But here's, here's how God can help us. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. It says, May the Lord lead your hearts. So let God lead our hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. I love that love and patient endurance are tied together there because as fathers, uh, I know for me, having patience endurance, patient endurance is a great phrase. It's time to turn, okay, well, let's just say this. Let me say this about that. I know, fathers, and I've got four kids, that patience can wear thin with our spouse or with our children in stressful situations. I need to remember as well as all of us that in those moments we are leading our family and the things that we say are being watched by our kids and the way that we are reacting is being examined and it's either going to bring more encouragement and peace to our family or going to bring turmoil and anger. Just let's, you know, let's just lay the cards on the table. We all, we all have moments where we just want to throw our hands up in the air. Well, whatever you do, lead as, as, as Jesus taught us. Let your heart fall into full understanding and expression of the love of God. If you follow Christ and let him take the leadership in your life, our responses will get better. And that's, that's all I have to say about that. All right. It's now time to take our focus and turn it towards moms and wives. So I have a little story for you this morning. It was Saturday before Mother's Day, and two small children, ages five and three, had been saving their pennies and nickels to buy their mother a, uh, a great Mother's Day gift. And they persuaded their dad to take them to the florist where they bought their mother a potted plant. They presented the plant to their mother, who was both surprised and thrilled. The five-year-old son, who had, deje- had a dejected look on his face, came to the mother and gave it to her and said, there were very... There was a very beautiful bouquet that we really wanted to get for you, Mom, but it cost too much. It had a beautiful ribbon on it, right across the front, and it said, rest in peace. (laughs) Sister and I thought it would be just perfect for you, Mom, since you're always asking for a little peace in the house so you can get some rest. (laughs) Rest in peace. Wives, you enrich our family. Wives, enrich your family. It's a calling to to enrich your family. It is a blessing to have a good wife. I've got an amazing wife. As a matter of fact, she even helped me with this sermon. We spent time because I wanted to make sure I got this right. And, and she has great thoughts. And so we work together on some of this. Men, we know that we're not perfect. And some of us don't even deserve the women that God has given us. But the Bible, and the Bible lays out an example of a good wife in Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 31, 10 through 12. It says, Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She will bring him good, not harm, all the days of her life. And then on verse 26, it continues, it says, when she speaks, her words are wise. Man, we got to listen to our, our, our wives uh, and, and their thoughts. Jenny gives me all kinds of great thoughts. She, she gives instructions with kindness. She speaks to me with kindness, but gives me things to ponder. She carefully watches over everything in her household and she suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. 
Her husband praises her, and he says, There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. What an amazing thing to have that kind of wife. And I'm blessed because I do have that kind of wife. She is amazing. A capable wife that speaks with kindness and can be trusted is more precious than rubies. She enriches her husband's life and brings him good all of his days. Wives, you enrich your family as you respectfully and prayerfully allow your husbands to lead you as Christ leads them. The Bible says it this way. Ephesians 5, verse 21, same chapter we saw earlier. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here it's calling us to submit to each other. So you notice, men, in our part it did say, you know, it's going to say here why submit, but we need to submit to one another. For wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of, the, of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. When you love and respect your husband, you empower him to be a great leader. Your words of encouragement will push him to pursue God and the best course for your family. When you encourage your husband by following his lead, you'll have great trust and re- he'll have great trust and respect for you. Remember Pastor Th- Stan's thought, put a crown above his head and let him grow into it. Husbands and wives and, and, and moms and dads, let's, let's do that with our family. You might be saying, yeah, but you don't know the man I married. I, I, you know, I have to lead or we'd be living this, a life of a circus. It'd just be a disaster. If you think this may, way, you might want to choose to look at this next scripture I'm going to share. And you might even say, some of you might say, I don't have a husband who even knows Jesus. He didn't even know Christ. How's he going to lead? Why should I follow an unbeliever? Well, if you think this, you might look at this scripture as well. 1 Peter 3.1, let's look at it. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, some are not, not Christians, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over. This is the story of John and Pam Priest. John Priest is an elder in our church, a friend of mine. Pam Priest used to be uh, our principal for our school. I'll tell you, this is an amazing couple. Um, Not only people I love personally, but this has been an amazing couple for this church. John was a pastor for a number of years here. He's an elder now. And the building we're sitting here, a lot of the work that went into getting all the people to work together to make this happen came because of the effort of John Priest. The reason we can have a high school today is because the great management that Pam Priest did with our elementary school. These are quality people. And if this hadn't happened, what I'm about to read here, this church wouldn't be where we are because these people have helped us. So let's look at this. Uh, th- this scripture uh, uh, starts, I'm going to start with, a, it talks about this story. And this is an excerpt from John, Pastor John's testimony that he shared, who's an elder now. He says, Pam and I were married while I was in the army. And the first three years were spent apart or together for short amounts of time. When I got to go back to Vietnam, we lived in Texas for about 10 months, and then we returned to Oregon. We were having a lot of problems. I was drinking heavily and not coming home from work. I'd hit the bar after work and then come home, you know, one or two in the morning. During that time, I wasn't communicative, and I felt like I was doing my duty by, as a husband and father, providing for my children and family. Men, that's not enough to be a provider. That's what John says. About seven years into our marriage... We were on the verge of divorce. That's about the time when Pam Pam asked Jesus to come into her life. Almost instantly, there was a change in our home. 
There was a peace. She changed from a woman who was hanging on as I ran through life to a woman filled with peace and joy. One who turned her life, turned him over to God, meaning she knew that only God could change me and save our marriage. And, and I'll pause right here and just say, when I talked to John about this, he said, you know, up to that point, Pam was trying to fix him and fix the thing. She was working hard and trying to do everything she could to do it. But once that moment came where she got saved and she turned John over to God, it says, almost from that moment on, I quit drinking or quit going out to bars. I didn't quit drinking, but I was present in the home. Even though I love Pam and the kids, I still didn't understand my role as husband and father. But I was able to see the change in our life. So here, remember I talked about you can be a quiet, you know, uh, your, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. That's what Pam did, and, and they'll be won over. That's how John was won over. Well, I'm going to share with you, John and Pam uh, write letters to one another on special occasions, on anniversaries, not every year, but on anniversaries sometimes, or such things. So one of the things that Pam wrote a letter to John about, uh, she had been thinking er, uh, earlier that day or in the week sometime, she was reminded of how life used to be before he knew Christ and before she knew Christ and all the, the pain that was there and all the sadness that they were dealing with. And she said, the moment that John got saved, a new husband walked into my life. This is what it says in this letter. A husband for me and the dad for my children. The man was one who wondered, who wanted, and began to dare Dare to hope, touch, feel, belong, try, devote, trust, and give over. Wow, what a man. He made the choice. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a husband who chose you. It is difficult to believe, as I see the family and the husband God has given me, that this recent glimpse of the past was, far, was from my life not too long ago. I'll be forever grateful for what God has done in and through you. He heard my cry, reached down and touched us. He chose you and me to be a family, to have each other mature, comfort, support, and joy, and most of all, love. Thank you, God, for this gift. And thank you, John, for giving your life to Christ, our God, the God who restores and makes new. Your choice and God's choosing, and God's choosing have brought abundant life to me and our family, and I am very grateful. What a great letter. What a powerful testimony. Women, don't give up hope. Keep praying. Don't give up hope. Men, if your wife doesn't know Jesus, don't give up hope. Live the, live the life out in front of them that God has for you. Next one we're talking about is kids, honor your parents. The best way for children to fulfill their role is to show parents honor and respect. Kids, speak well of your parents. Adult kids, teenagers, children, speak well of your parents. Let's look at Ephesians 6. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. Honoring children follow their parents' lead. Not the other way around. Kids aren't to lead parents around. There's a great blessing honoring your parents. Honoring parents has become diminished in America today. In much of children's television, I sit and watch some of those shows on Nickelodeon and Dizzy, and the parents are made out to be buffoons, especially the dads, the men and the fathers. These shows distort 
the, the, the children are, to, are the wise ones and the parents need to learn from the kids in these shows. That's a sad training for our children. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. doesn't say sometimes. It says always obey your parents. We must be wise in what we let our kids watch. Some TV shows distort the kids' role in the family and diminish the parents, and we need to turn off that TV and spend time hanging out as a family. Parents aren't perfect, but if you want a relationship with your father or mother to improve, show them love by your words and actions. And that's true for us as adults. If you're, if you're estranged um, from your parents, you know, and you want a relationship, start talking pub, uh, good about them and think well of them. It says uh, here that treating your parents with disrespect tr- leads to tr- public disgrace. It says in Proverbs 19.26, Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Parents are not perfect, but a child's role in the team is to bring them honor and respect. As our scripture said earlier, if you honor your parents, things will go well for you. You know how we show, you know how Jesus said we could show him love? You read it a lot of times in the Bible. It says, if you love me, obey what I command. God says that over and over again. So if you love your parents, obey them. That's how you show your love. That's your role. Adult kids, honor your parents by speaking kind words to them and show them that you love them. You'll always be their child. Honor them. Even the best of parents are flawed. Don't focus on their flaws. Love them by seeing them through Jesus. Encourage your parents. Love them. Most parents are doing the best they know. My parents had their flaws. Early in my life, early in my life I decided not to hold resentment. I'd seen the damage that resentment had and bitterness has on children and has had on my own family. My mom and dad both lost their fathers at an early age. I think my mom was probably 9 or 10. My dad was probably 12, uh, somewhere around there, maybe 14, but it was pretty young. Um, and they did the best they could. So here they went from the, what was this family to a single mom, and, you know, they, they, they just... You know, they had challenges. But they tried hard, and they did the best they could, even though they had flaws. And the great thing was, they had eight kids to get it right. Eight kids to practice on. And the best news from that, for me, is I was number seven. So by the time they got to me, they were pretty good. So, not really. But, you know, it's just, uh, you do learn. You know, the oldest kid, they they get some of the greatest blessings and some of the, the greatest freedoms, and then some of the most strict stuff, too. It's just how it goes. You just have to learn. You don't know. Every kid is different. Kids, be patient with your parents. Even adult kids, be patient. Love your parents. The best thing you can do is show them love. Even if you don't think they deserve it, God tells us to love and honor our parents. It says here in Hebrews 19, or Hebrews 12, 9 through 10, it says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we respect even more the discipline of our father of our spirits that live forever and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is good for us so that we might share in his holiness. The Bible encourages parents to lead and discipline the best you know how and let God lead you as you raise your children. Don't do it through your own understanding of what you think is right. Pray about it so that you're making good decisions and helping your kids. If you had a bad childhood and you don't know, 
you know, you had some, some things happen. You know, don't let that be a crutch to you. Just say, God, I want your help. I want to know how to do it better. I know what not to do, but knowing what not to do is not nearly as hard as knowing what to do sometimes. And so pray, and God will help you to know what to do. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, and, but let me tell you, I chose and I choose today to, to view my dad through the good times because he wasn't always drunk. He was drunk a lot, maybe most of the time, but there were some moments we had together where we sat in the kitchen together or we sat out in the yard and talked and laughed, and he was always funny, had great jokes that he told, and he was just fun to be around when he was sober. I want to live there. Let's not sit and, and fester in the bad things. Try to remember the good things and live there. The bad things are only going to bring you more hurt. They're only going to discourage you. They're only going to keep you down and keep you discouraged. And they're going to affect your other relationships. If you can choose to forgive and ask God to help you and to move on and begin to just focus on the good things. I just want to say my dad was a good dad. He made a lot of mistakes and he drank way too much. But he intended to do well. His intentions were never to bring me harm. Now some of you can't even say that, that your dads did do that. They did intend you to bring you harm. But it's still best for you to forgive and to give that to God and try to draw to the good things in life. Um, parents, don't be afraid to lead your children. I've observed some parents are being led by their children. Don't let your role as parent diminish. Kids can always make more friends and you can make more friends. You need to be the parent. They only have one mom or dad. You know, you've got to be that. Take caution not to build your lives around your children. I've seen this in families where they build all their lives around their kids and their kids grow up and then the parents don't have anything left because their whole social life and whole social calendar and all their friends were built around their kids. Don't do that to yourself. I'm not against organized sports. I think there's great things you can learn in that. But if you're organizing your whole life around four little league teams, I don't know how that's helping you. I'm not sure it's helping your kid. But if you get one really good one and you're focused on that and you're working hard, I mean, maybe if you got somebody who's, you know, and, and they've got some unbelievable talent, and we all think our kids are talented, you know, and you want to focus that way. But I want to tell you, don't let clubs that your kids are in or sports that your kids are in drive your life. Don't let them lead your schedule. You lead your schedule. And you work with them to do the things that are best for them. But also keep in balance that you need those times where you're sitting at the table just talking. We made a decision, you know, years ago to, to every night together at dinner. And so no matter where they are, everybody comes down and we sit together at dinner and we talk. And then we have family night once a week. And every family night we come together and we, we hang out together. And we'll play board games or we'll watch a movie together or joke around, whatever. Go out and do something. But you know, I value those times. Sometimes when we sit down for dinner, I'm dog tired. But I need to be there and I need to be present. And that's how all of us are. We need to be there and be present. And I, I want to work on that every, way, every day. I want to get better as a, as a father. I want to grow in my faith so I can grow in my, in my parenting and grow as to be a better husband. And that should be all of our individual goals. I want to be a better son for my mom. I want to bless her. I want to speak words of encouragement. I don't want to spend my time with her rehashing all the bad things that happened in our family. That doesn't do her any good, and it doesn't do me any good. And holding, on to re and, and holding on to hurt and resentment just doesn't help anything. Uh, I just want to let that stuff go. And I want to speak well of my dad. I want to speak well of my mom and treat them well, because they did the best they knew could, just as that scripture. He did. He tried. He did the best he could, even though he was 
uh, flawed. Uh, let's talk about grandparents. Grandparents invest in your family through love. Love and invest in your grandkids' parents. That's the best way you can love your grandkids is by loving their parents and showing their parents respect and speaking well of their parents. That's their kids', that's their kids parents. Say good things about them. Don't speak badly about you know, the, the father that's not in the picture enough, in your opinion, or the father that's doing this. Don't speak badly to them. Just encourage and love their parents and say good things and, and encourage that father. Titus 2, 3-5 says, Similar, Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, live wisely and pure, work in their homes, do good, be submissive to their parents. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. We don't retire from our faith. We are called our whole life to minister to our family and teach them to follow God and his commands. Deuteronomy 6 says this, These are my, the commands and decrees and regulations that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. You and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will live a long life. We must obey God's decrees and commands. And we're not just on the hook for ourselves or even our spouses or just our children, but our grandchildren too, it says here. We have a lifelong call to our family, lifelong ministry to love and to care and disciple and encourage. My kids don't see their grandparents very often because they live in Illinois. But I'll tell you what, they find great value in the moments of the words of love and encouragement they've received from their grandparents, and it holds a special place in, in their minds and hearts. Grandparents, you can have great impact on your grandchildren if you spend time with them, and when you have time with them, that you speak things that encourage them and love them. Proverbs 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crowning jewel of the aged. Parents are the pride of their children. Treat your grandchildren as your crowning glory. Invest in them, love them, speak words of love and encourage them. Families, we should all remember that our words carry great power. In my life, I'm often reminded of words people have spoken more than the actions that they've taken. The Bible says that words are, 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 are strong. And let's look at Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can bring life or death. Those who talk will reap the consequences. Is what we're saying bringing life to people? Or putting them down and bringing discouragement and death. We can't underestimate the power of words. Even more than our actions towards our children. Children often forget the things that are done for them. But the words are positive or negative can leave lasting impressions. I don't remember a lot. You know, I don't remember many spankings as a kid, for example. But I remember things that were said quite vividly still. You know, um, and we need to be careful not only of the things that, are, that we hear that can be heard, but we need to be careful about the things that can be overheard. I want to share a quick story. My Uncle James, uh, we were visiting my grandma, and then we went over to visit my Uncle James and, uh, and Aunt Tina. And as we were there, I was off in the other room. My dad and him were just sitting there talking at the table. And he said, man, Ray, he said, you sure do have some good kids. And they didn't know I was around. They're just talking. He said, "You know, those kids are. You got great kids." He said, "But you know what? That Jeff. He said, you better. You got to watch him because I'll tell you what. He's going to do something. 
You said, you got to watch that kid. He, he's got real promise. He said, that kid's impressive. Well, he didn't know I was listening and hearing that. From that moment on, he was my favorite uncle. <laughs> Couldn't do no wrong, Uncle James, you know. And Uncle James actually was instrumental in our family. Uh, I'm going to share a quick story, uh, a snippet of a story later. But he was, he was responsible for helping us get my dad into to Alcoholics Anonymous, which I don't, that didn't do anything, but that led to him getting saved. And, and it did get him around people who encouraged him. I'm not saying that Alcohol Anonymous is the only answer. I'm just saying that that worked because God was in it and, and prayers worked. Um, if you don't have family in the area, grandparents, aunts, uncles, um, you know, and, and parents, you know, I, I've started recruiting people to love my kids. You know, I, all, our, all our families in the Midwest, so I went up and we, I met a gal here that, worked, that uh, came in and volunteered for us at, in our creative team years ago, and I said, hey, I said, uh, I want to recruit you for something. I said, but it had nothing to do with the church. She said, what are you, what are you talking about? I said, I, I want to recruit you as my kid's aunt. Are you willing to be my kid's aunt? And they, she said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, well, look, I'm not saying, I just say I want you to meet him. <laughs> I said, just meet him and see. I, th- I said, I think you guys will get along well, and I think you'll love him. And I said, you know, what, she said, well, what does that look like? I said, well, I said, you know, come over for their birthdays, you know, if you can. And, and come over if you're, you know, you don't have family here either, so you need people. So, you know, come over and, and Christmas time, we'll buy you presents. And you come hang out with us, and we'll buy you birthday presents. You can buy the kids a little something. You can take them out. I just recruited her. Just like on a street, street to seat or something. But you know, it, you have to find people to love your kids. I need people to speak into my kids' lives besides me. Right now, my son was going through a hard time. I have a friend here in the office, and he just started taking my son out and spending time with him. And I tell you, it's meant a lot to my son, and it's meant a lot to me. We need people to love our kids besides ourselves, especially if there's not aunts or uncles or grandmas around. Find somebody. I'm out of time, but I want to get to this last point, and then we're gonna, I'm going to close quickly. I've been out of time, actually. I'm glad there's not some kind of electric shock here because I think I would have got it. Um, Pray earnestly for your family, believing for a great future. James 5, 16b through 17 says, An earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, but yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. God loves revealing himself. And he loves answering our prayer. Now, he doesn't do it in the way that we think or the way we, we think it should happen. But, you know, we need to not give up. We need to just be patient and keep praying, even if things don't seem to be working out. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I'm just going to read this first part, 7. It says, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then skip down to verse 11. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? We know this. If we live in right ways and we're righteous, we can see results. And God wants to bless us. He loves us. If we love our kids and love giving them gifts, which I do, as a parent, I love giving my kids gifts and watching them, enjoy them. God loves to give us even more. I want to quickly tell you this. That my family <clears throat> was at a real desperate point where my dad's drinking had become uh, more frequent than not. And I was really, we'd been praying for years that God would, you know, free him from alcohol and that he would quit drinking. 
And I went away for one weekend uh, at this retreat for, for when I was a teenager. I think it was probably 15 or 16 maybe. And every time at that retreat that there was a chance to pray, I didn't care what it was for. It could have been for, you're, you know, you're, you're addicted to pornography and you slap people around. It didn't matter what the altar call was for. I got up there and I wanted to pray for my dad. I, didn't even, I don't even know what those altar responses were about. Because I was there on a mission. My mission was to pray for my family and pray for my dad and God to intervene. When I got home from that, there was a big mess. Got in the car, and my mom said, how'd it go? And I said, yeah, it was, it was all right. And she said, oh, you didn't get anything from that retreat. And this there's a long story. I'm not going to share it with you, but she was upset, and I could tell she's upset. I asked her what was going on. said there was a fight, and uh, my sister and my father got in a fight, and he's been drink, drunk, and, being, and she chased him with a croquet mallet and all this stuff. And, you know, and, and so, you know, it's just a big mess at home. And I thought to myself, okay, there's a good one, God. Thank you very little. You know? Didn't you hear me? I spent all weekend praying about this. I sincerely asked you to do this. Where are you in this? So I got home and there was all kinds of things that came down. And I'll share that story sometime probably. But you know, the end result was the next day, my dad called me and said, son, I want you to come stand right here when I got home from school. He said, I want you to know I'm never going to drink again. And I said, boy, dad, I, I hope so. And I went in the kitchen and my mom pulled me aside and she said, son, you don't understand he said he'd slow down before. He's never said that he'll stop drinking, ever. He's never said that, and he did. God heard my prayer, and he answered my prayer. He'll hear your prayer for your family, and he's going to answer it. And there's people here today that you need an answer from God. Don't give up. He's going to meet you.